Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short term rentals and long term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Did you know that we're officially back in a buyer's market? That's right. Even though interest rates continue to rise, they are causing prices to fall. So there's finally room for you to do regular real estate investor things that we couldn't do for so long, like gasp, negotiate, make lower offers, ask for sellers to cover some of your closing costs. So it's a really great time to buy in terms of being able to get a lower purchase price and being able to negotiate. So if you're looking for your first or next short-term rental, it's a perfect time to reach out to us at the short-term shop. Let our team of agents in any of our true vacation market destinations help you find the perfect investment. Jump on over to the shorttermshop.com and click get connected to get started. We are brokered by eXp Realty. See y'all over there. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Short Term Show. Today, we've got a really cool guest. Uh, he's got a lot of experience in a lot of different types of real estate, but definitely a subject that is very near and dear to my heart coming out of the music business and into real estate or doing that vice versa. Uh, he's got a, or not vice versa, but in conjunction with each other or at the same time. Uh, so he's got a really cool book out called The Backstage Guide to Real Estate. So I'd like to welcome Matt Pitchney to the show. And uh, thank you so much for coming on, Matt. How's it going? Thanks, Avery. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So why don't we start by you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do, how you got into real estate, you know, start from the beginning. Okay. I was born in Orlando, Florida, and I moved to New York City in 1992 to pursue a career in theater. And so uh, I was a musical theater guy, right? And, and uh, I always wanted to be a rock star, but I wasn't quite cool enough. I didn't have the vibe. So I ended up in musicals, uh, which was the second second best and, and a lot of fun. And musicals so I was, rule. I love musicals. <laughs> thank you. I mean, I would have much preferred to be, you know, rocking out with a guitar on a stage, but that just, uh, that wasn't in the plan for me. Um, but 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 something that I love, right? I actually just went to a show the other night. That was awesome. So um, then I uh, started getting involved in website development. This is like the mid 90s, mid to late 90s. And instead of waiting tables at the Hard Rock Cafe in between acting gigs, I started doing website development. And so much development was coming in that I actually started my own boutique agency doing digital marketing projects for many, many clients. And then 2001 came along and the dot-com bubble burst and all of my clients were going out of business or not spending money on any digital marketing things. And my business was imploding. And as timing, <laughs> perfect timing, uh, I got a phone call at that time from my landlord telling me I had 90 days to get out of the apartment that I was living in. So here I am in New York, wanting to live in New York City, needing to find a new place to live without a job and with a business that has essentially failed. Uh, so luckily, I ended up getting a job at uh, Showtime, the television uh, cable channel. They, they were a client of mine. They offered me a position in-house and I was looking for a rental, but I actually found an apartment to buy. 
Now it was way, way, way uptown. Um, so I lived in Manhattan, but it was it was it was almost the Bronx where where I was uh, where I found this place. It was in an area called Washington Heights, and so not necessarily where I wanted or dreamed of living, but it was a nice neighborhood and it was something I could afford. Two years later, a little over two years later, I ended up selling that apartment and I saw my initial investment in that apartment, my down payment, more than quadruple in value. And that was a big, big light bulb moment for me. I mean, I was making a pretty good salary at that point working at Showtime. I was, I was, I was doing pretty well, but that one real estate transaction, I made more money than an entire year's worth of salary. So I was like, how do I, how do I make that happen again? <laughs> because that was awesome. And that's what set me on the path to look for real estate to invest in. Then the next thing that I did for a real estate investment, I, I bought another place and lived there, but then I, I bought a piece of land and actually developed a house on there. And that house ended up becoming a short-term rental. And uh, we can we can dive into that a little bit more. Um, but I started doing more and more real estate as a hobby for about 10 years and then started doing real estate full time about seven years ago. And now I'm more focused on uh, multifamily apartment syndications. And just in case your listeners aren't familiar with what a syndication is, it's when a bunch of in uh, investors can pool their money together and go and go in on an investment together rather than someone just uh, doing something solo. That's quite a story. And there's a lot of different little things that I took notes on that I want to hit on there. So um, first thing, uh, let's see. So were you, most people who either live in New York or people who don't live in New York never consider investing in and around New York because we all just assume that it's entirely too expensive. So were you, when you started, after you bought that that first apartment and then you went to develop that house, was that local-ish to the city or was that, you know, somewhere else? Ish. It was local-ish, but not really. I, it was about two hours away. So it was in Connecticut um, because I think you're right, Avery, to, to try to uh, do something in, in New York City. Um, while it can be done, it, but it's usually going to be, from what I've seen in my experience, more of, of uh, you know, a ground up development type of project, and also um, quite expensive. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a lot of lot of hoops to jump through. Uh, so, for for most of us mere mortals, I, I haven't I haven't done anything in New York City, um, and I think it it could be difficult. the The properties that I have had in New York are properties that I've been able to buy um, at good times in, in good areas. Uh, so you know, in areas that I've seen that are on the upswing, and being able to sort of spot that and and understand. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example of property that I have now um, where I live in Brooklyn. When we bought this uh, about nine, nine, almost 10 years ago, the, the Barclays Center was here, right? We're, we're about five blocks south of the Barclays Center. And the only Whole Foods in Brooklyn at the time was about 10 blocks south of here. So this property was kind of like in the middle of those two things. But I was right next to an abandoned, boarded up KFC that was like breeding mosquitoes by the gazillions. I mean, 
<laughs> I, I, Brooklyn's I, I, charming like that. <laughs> you yeah, can have all this beautiful stuff and then, you know, something falling down right next door. Yeah. So we were in the, it, but it, it was like right on the path of progress. And so we bought the property and, you know, that, that boarded up KFC is now a beautiful luxury high rise where they're selling, you know, properties. The cheapest one, I think is like a million bucks, <laughs> you know, and they top out like $1 million for like a studio apartment. And then they've got like the penthouses that go for like $5 million. And, and so like, I'm right next door to that. My property value over the past seven years has skyrocketed. But at the time when I bought it, nobody really wanted this place next to this KFC that who knew how long that would be there. It wasn't even in, it was boarded up. I mean, it was just, it was an eyesore. So being able to find those types of opportunities in, in New York city, you can do well, but they're hard to find. Yeah, absolutely. I would imagine it's even harder to find deals in New York city than anywhere else. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Yeah. Awesome. So let's talk about, you mentioned something before we went live that I want to hit on. So we've had Airbnb arbitragers on. So for those of you who are just now tuning in, arbitrage is when you don't own the property, you're renting the property from an owner or a landlord on a long-term basis, but then you're turning around and short-term renting it. So we've had arbitragers come on before, but we haven't had anyone come on that owns a property that an arbitrager is renting from and you do. So I have a, several questions about that, but how, first off, I'll just ask, how did that come about? How did they approach you? So I bought a six unit property. I had a 1031 exchange that I was doing um, and, and, and bought a six unit property. And I had a property manager uh, who was managing the property. It was, it was in Kansas city. Uh, I live in New York and the property manager said, Hey, you know, this guy's approaching us and you know, we, we know who he is uh, and uh, he's looking for, you know, to, to, to Airbnb, you know, short-term rental uh, properties. And he, he's interested in your, your building. I, I got a, I had a good building in a, in a great location, I think for that kind of business. Um, and so he reached out to me and, uh, and, and, and we kind of took it from there. So when you're being approached by an arbitrager like this, what's the first, was your first response? Like, hell no, or this sounds interesting, or like, I don't really care. Which of those three? Number two, uh, this sounds interesting because I wanted to, I wanted to know, all right, well, what are they, what are they offering up? Like, what is the, how does this work? How would the deal be structured? And, and what does this look like? It just, I don't know. I'm kind of like a interesting creative guy and like, I was like, oh, let me check it out. So yeah, I was definitely interested in hearing about it. Okay. Cause people write entire books about how to get a landlord to agree to this. So like, I, I'm really excited to be interviewing a landlord who has agreed to it. So did, well, are they paying? You know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Avery, for, for okay. me, um, I, you know, it, it was, I wanted to understand how the deal was going to be structured, right? And so it was like, hey, do I get part of the upside on the deal? Or like, how is it all structured? The way that we structured this um, was kind of unique. And um, I just really liked the person a lot. Maybe they were a good salesperson, but it was a younger person. Um, 
I, I look young, but I'm I'm a, I'm a bit older than I look. And I just really like the fact that this guy was very, I mean, he was like in his early 20s, just was like hustling. You know, he was out there and he seemed to me to be a good, respectable person. And what he wanted to do, so the way we structured this um, was, so he wanted to furnish the, the, the unit, right? And um, he showed me pictures of other units he had done in, in the city. And I also had the property manager vouch that, yeah, this, this guy, this is what he does. And these are like legitimately like units that he has, that he, he, that other people own that he's done. Um, and they were beautiful. And he's like, I want to do this. And so he actually had me front the money to furnish the unit wow he got you to agree to that yeah because i felt like it was a studio unit and i felt we were having a hard time renting it anyway okay and i felt like look if it gets furnished and he ends up being a dud or whatever i'll keep all the furnishing and i he did all the work of like getting everything and setting it all up. I mean, he did it and it looked beautiful. And I was like, great. If he ends up being a dud, like this is all my, and it was my stuff, you know, he then was renting the apartment uh, at a much higher rental rate, about $200 a month more. And this is a relatively inexpensive apartment to begin with $200 a month more than what I would be charging someone to rent it for. Oh, okay. That was going to be my next question is, was he pay offering you higher rent to get you to agree to this? He okay. Was, so it's a win-win. He win was offering me higher rent. And this was at the very beginning of the, of the pandemic actually. Oh, wow. And I, so there was, I mean, not a lot of risk on my part. He was signing a one-year lease to pay this higher rent and whatever he, you know, got his income was his. So I was happy and he was taking care of the property. He was there all the time. He was washing the linens, all of that. He put a, um, you know, like a ring doorbell, ring type of doorbell on there. And there was like a keypad. I mean, actually like improved the unit quite a bit um, to, to, for him to do that. And the agreement was that within two years, he would pay me back the loan. And then the rent would go to market rent. And that's what's happened. So he's paid me back the 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 loan, and and the extra month that he was paying me every month was not accounted for as a uh, it didn't reduce the principal balance, you know, that that I loaned him. So he paid gave me a you know check for like eight grand, and and uh, and we were done, you know. He and and now he's he's still renting it. He's paying market rent pays every month like clockwork. Um, when we started the whole thing, we got it approved um, with the city. So that city uh, is in Kansas City has rules and regulations on how an Airbnb can be handled and actually what percentage of units, it's one every four units. Unfortunately, I only have a six unit, so I only have one. Otherwise I'd, I'd let him do as many as he wants because um, he, he's paying rent and taking good care of the property. So. Um, it's, it's really a win-win as far as I'm concerned to have a good tenant who pays their rent on time, never causes any problems, uh, you know, yeah. market rent. It, it's great for me. And I think he does very well 
uh, on that arbitrage. Awesome. Well, it sounds like a win-win for everyone. Have you had any neighbors complain about guests or anything like that? Wow. Okay. Not a single complaint. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the content of our podcast, but you have additional short-term rental questions, we host a weekly live question session that you guys can join for free. It's at 1 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays. And if you head over to strquestions.com, you can sign up. So not only am I the host of this show, but I also own and manage my own properties. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have about short-term rental investing. So please join us anytime for a free weekly live Q&A on Zoom. Sign up at strquestions.com. What about insurance? So does he have his own special insurance for this? You're not on the hook for any, any, like anybody falling down the stairs while they're in there or there, I guess there's not stairs, but slipping and falling uh, in the studio. Well, there, there's, there are a couple stairs up to the, up uh, to the property. Um, I do have a, a insurance policy uh, on the property as a whole. There's six units there. So it's not just the one unit that he has and you can't, I don't think you can get like a partial insurance, like it, the insurance is going to cover. So I have, I do have liability insurance. He also has insurance as well. Um, and that was important to me, but um, I, it, it is covered under my policy. And then I have an umbrella policy too. So I have lots of insurance just to, you know, things can happen. People can yeah. slip and fall. And you want to make sure that you're covered. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, uh, have a friend who, when she first got, I think, well, she'd already had a unit or two and was getting one up and running a single family. And she didn't have all of her stuff set up yet, but a colleague wanted to just rent it for the weekend and she didn't make her sign anything like a rental agreement or anything. And she rolled her ankle and ended up, she thought she broke her toe or she did break her toe. And she ended up like, I think it got really close to a lawsuit about this broken toe when it was somebody that she knew that she trusted. And so that's just a really good, you kind of reminded me of that story to make sure you have enough insurance and that you have everybody, even your mother sign these things if they're going to be staying in your property. Yeah. Yeah. Super important. Yeah. So I want to switch gears for a minute here. So you are someone who has been, you might still be in the arts. We didn't talk about that. Has been in the arts, transitioned into real estate as a more stable form of income. Uh, I think there's a lot of us, myself included, who have been in that position of, you know, we're musicians or artists or actors or what have you. I had a ton of actors who worked in the same bar as me uh, when I lived in New York. And everybody's doing this thing. They're working on their craft, but we all have to work in the service industry to support that because it doesn't always cash flow, especially at first, sometimes never. And I think that a lot of those types of people don't realize that they can start investing in real estate for some more income at the same time that they're doing that. So looking back at how much money I was making, so first bartending in Austin and then bartending in New York City, three four happy hours a week, I was making 90 grand and I totally could have bought something somewhere, but I just didn't have the tools or the resources or the knowledge to know that I could do this kind of thing. I thought you could only just buy a house like when you're ready to have something like what your parents have. And so I really think that the artist community is really kind of skipped over in terms of, um, you know, people putting education out there for that sect of people. 
So I would really like to hear, you know, your take on that and, you know, helping that community get into real estate investing. Well, you know, that's one of the reasons why I wrote my book, Backstage Guide to Real Estate, is to help people, whether they're musicians or not, right, whether they're involved in the arts or not, um, get know how to do this, right? Because sure, I used to I used to be an, an actor and I didn't know about this, but then I worked in digital marketing and I didn't know about it, you know? And there's people who are doctors and lawyers and don't know about it. There's just a lot of people, regardless of their profession, who don't know what this is and don't know how to do it. Um, what, what, the kind of thing that I do is, is syndication, which allows people to get into this kind of thing on a very passive level. Um, and so that's something that I'm passionate about is creating passive income. So two thirds of my portfolio in real estate are deals that I have invested with other people. And then I have a third of my portfolio. It's it's big. I mean, it's almost 4,000 units that I manage, right? And that I run. But but like I said, two thirds of my portfolio, it's passive stuff. You can go ahead and and, and find somebody who, who knows what they're doing, right? Because look, if you're a musician, you're, you're an actor, you're an artist, like, you probably you might you probably don't want to do real estate like or you'd be doing real estate right maybe you just probably don't have an interest or passion for it number one but number two there are things that you have to learn right and and if you want to run a deal yourself there's a lot more that you have to learn you can passively invest in somebody else's deal without knowing too much. Yeah, there are some baseline things that you need to, to, to learn and understand. But at that point, then if you have 25,000 or 50,000, you could just go ahead and invest that in someone's deal passively and you're done. Now, if you wanna go ahead and do the short-term rental thing, which can be more lucrative, um, that's great, but it also takes more effort from your part because you're more of an active investor. And that's gonna require you being able to go to a bank and getting a loan from the bank, uh, unless you buy the property all cash, which you're probably not going to do. So you can make a lot more money if you if you get a loan and, and you leverage the property. And then you're you have to qualify for the loan. You know, there's a lot of other things that you need to do. And then you've got to manage the property, and you have accounting things that you need to do. Uh, work with it with an accountant and and have expenses and income and do leases and deal with uh tenants that you know most tenants most tenants are fine you know but then you get that one tenant that's kind of you know a problem and you have to deal with that um and so there's thinking but you you will get compensated more for it right so it's just kind of figuring out where is the best use of your time but it's certainly something that that people can get involved in who don't have you know massive salaries and aren't like, you know, full-time professionals. It's something that, that lots of people can do. Yeah. I think I always felt like, oh, I don't have a quote real job. This is for people who have real jobs. I'm doing air quotes for those of you who are listening. Um, you can't see me. But you might need the real job to get, to get a mortgage. That depends on the lender. Right. And, and I, I don't know. And you, you probably know more about that than, than I do, Avery, in terms of, getting, you know, lending options for somebody in that sort of freelance type situation? Well, yeah. So there's options for that. But uh, if you're talking just straight 
conventional lending, you do kind of have to, if you're doing tip work, especially you do have to kind of plan ahead and you would have to claim, you know, credit card tips and, you know, claiming tips for your taxes. People are like, oh, let me just claim like 10 bucks when I made 200. You really do have to claim all of your tips so that you can then show that to the bank next year. Or I don't know the exact number of years you'd have to show it, but you do have to kind of plan in advance to know that, well, I need to be able to show X amount of income. So I need to claim all my tips instead of like 10% of my tips. So it's definitely involves some planning and some, and some asking around, but you know, it's just like anything you go to a bunch of banks and ask. And if they say, no, you go to the next bank. As long as you have that down payment, there will be someone out there who will give you that loan. But I just think there's such a, a bad mindset out there amongst people who are doing service work that they think they can't do these types of things when they absolutely can. Absolutely. They can. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see, we are to the last five. I mean, sorry, the last three questions. I don't know why I said five. It's three every time. The last three questions of our show that we ask everyone that comes on the show. And the first one is what advice would you give 20 year old Matt? Oh, 20 year old me. <laughs> wow. I, I thought you were going to say a tw just 20 year old person. Um, well, that's next. So don't step oh, on that okay. question. But okay. yeah, you, go. <laughs> For, I, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what I would say. I don't have any regrets. I mean, sure, it would have been great if I would have invested in real estate sooner, if I would have known about it. You know, maybe I would say, hey, check out real estate. But, but I, you know, I enjoyed doing what I've done and I've enjoyed my life and taken kind of an eclectic path to get where I am. And I wouldn't trade any of those things for the world. That's a really great answer. And nobody said that yet, actually. Um, so that's a great answer that, you know, you, you're happy with the experience that you've had and that's good. Yeah. So <laughs> next question, what advice would you give a new investor who's interested in getting started today? Uh, I, I think there's three things that are really important to be successful in real estate and also in life. Um, number one is, is education. And I don't mean like having to go to college, right? I mean, I, I actually went to a musical theater conservatory and didn't graduate college until like 10 years later, I ended up going to school at nighttime, but uh that, but, but understanding, like learning what you like, if you want to play guitar, like learn all your scales, right? I mean, like there's certain things that you need to learn, um, basic fundamentals that are really important. So get that education. That's number one. Number two uh, is that this is uh, persistence is, is what's going to win the day for you. Uh, you know, in, in my book, Backstage Guide to Real Estate, I give stories about persistence like before I was in real estate and how that helped me just in life. And it's, it's really important, but it's helped me in real estate. I would not have gotten my first deal. Uh, I have a whole chapter about my first deal in the book. And it was a, a real persistence story to actually get that first deal as a, as a real estate syndicator. Um, and, and, and I could give countless other examples. And then the third and most important thing I think is, is all about relationships and building relationships, you know, uh, going back to that short-term rental story that we talked about, there was a relationship, not a really strong one, but a relationship that that person who wanted to arbitrage the Airbnbs had with the property manager. 
And so then the poverty manager had a relationship with me, right? So it's all about those relationships and those connections and that network. Oh yeah, absolutely. And even just like with the smallest things. So like if you're a jerk to your loan officer and make their life a living hell throughout the whole deal, and then taxes roll around next year and you need something from them for documentation, like, do you think they're going to respond to you very fast? It's it, people I think overlook, like even the smallest relationships in real estate really are important. And I think that's a really good answer. Thanks. All right. <laughs> Last question. What is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? Well, I don't want to say Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because I'm sure you get that all the time. And it's a phenomenal book. That's a fine answer. It's a great answer. But I'll, I'll give you another one. Okay. Uh, Ray Dalio's, uh, Ray Dalio has a book called Principles for the Changing World Order. And he's talking about um, the the world and and, and countries and I mean, it goes way, way, way back to like the Ming Dynasty, and he he looks at the Chinese and and the uh, the British and the Dutch and and all these different countries um, that have uh, become world powers at certain times and sort of their rise and falls, and and looks at sort of what that cycle is. And you know, Dalio's all about cycles. That that's how he looks at everything. He's he, he's the guy. I think he just retired, but he he ran one of the largest hedge funds in the world, and and he uh, is a very successful guy, right? And that's how he's been able to build his career is by looking at cycles, debt cycles, and market cycles, and then using that information, using past uh, you know history to sort of figure out where he thinks things are going in the future, and then makes investments based on that. So it's just really fascinating to see kind of the research that he has and what he talks about and. It's a little bit of history lesson too, which is kind of fun. Um, it's it's a really cool book, uh, Principles for the Changing World Order by Ray Dalio. Awesome. That's a fantastic recommendation. I, I haven't read that one. I've read some of his other ones, but not that one. So great answer. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. If any of our listeners want to follow you, buy your book, all that fun stuff, where can they find you? Go to pacheni.com. I'll spell it real quick. It's P like and Peter, I-C-H-E-N-Y.com. I've got a bunch of free resources to download, free articles, educational articles, a monthly newsletter, all kinds of good stuff there. So just go to the website and check it out. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Matt. We'll catch you later. Thanks. <laughs>